My brother was playing drums with pencil sticks, unsharpened pencils, <laughs> and playing on like a junior drum kit. Right. None of us really knew what we were doing. <laughs> One other guitar player had taken some basic lessons, and I, throughout the whole song, for two and a half, three minutes, I'm just playing one string <laughs> somewhat rhythmically at times and other other times totally off. So but a proper ska band is <laughs> not even close. Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and today I'm talking with special guest Joel Klein about things like pizza dogs, his wordsmithing series called Raconteur's Lexicon, and modifying Strahd while playing in four campaigns simultaneously. Also, as a little bit of house cleaning, if you've been on the fence about it before, I've just added a ton of new content over to my Patreon in various reward tiers. There's now Discord integration and access, as well as exclusive bonus mini-episodes that are going to come out after every single episode of Dungeons & Dinners, with more content from our guests, as well as various other ideas that I've come up with or want to share in a smaller, short-form content, as a way to say thank you for those of you that support the show and help fund future content like it. Your support is immensely appreciated, and with that, let's start the show. Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. As I said in the intro, today we are joined at the D&D Dinners table by Joel Klein. Joel, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fantastic. We've both been all smiles and mic checks, so this is I'm feeling good about this one. So uh, for the uninitiated or those that uh, haven't checked out Midlife Dices on Twitter, um, who are you and what do you do in the RPG space? Uh, yeah, well, uh, Midlife Dices really does sum up who I am uh, at this point in my life. Um, you know, middle-aged guy who's uh, especially in the last couple of years really gotten into uh, D&D specifically. Yeah. As well as a few other... Uh, friends and I played a game uh, Paranoia, which oh, is okay, yeah, which is a hoot. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and then under the name Midlife Dices, I've tried publishing things on DMs Guild. Uh, I've been working on illustrations. Uh, I've got a backlog of music that at some point I hope to put out. That will be a uh, you know. Uh, I'm not sure what form that's going to take, but I, I kind of am excited about all the creative possibilities that this uh, genre brings. And I've always been the kind of person who loves to make things up. And so it really is a perfect fit mm -hmm. uh, to, to delve into uh, the way I put it is, I have many irons and many fires. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've told a lot of people that when they're like, well, what are your hobbies? And I'm like, my hobby is collecting hobbies. <laughs> and there's there's almost nothing I haven't at least dabbled in. And I think the, the, the RPG space in general is such a great place for that because there are so many crossovers between uh, art, music, you can make maps, you can make adventures, you can write, you can LARP or cosplay. Like the list just keeps going on and on. And then in each of those, you could break them down further and further and further. So yeah. I absolutely love the the variety that's available just being in the RPG space. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is uh, there's a bit of a natural progression to some of it. Uh, a few years ago, well, when I was a kid, I loved drawing. Mm -hmm. That was my hobby days, you know, hours every day. We'd go camping in these beautiful places and I would sit at the table or in the trailer and draw because mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to do. Yep. Uh, and then I kind of abandoned that in the, you know, teenage years for music when I got into playing guitar and writing songs, etc. Nice. Uh, and then... Uh, a few years ago, after started playing D&D &D with uh, a group, and one of us 
said, hey, we should go get some minis. Yes. And then and that just <laughs> boom. Then like, it's paints and brushes yeah, and so holders. I and... know the people listening can't see it, but that whole thing back there is my mini Painting. I was I was going to ask, I wasn't sure if that it looked like a mini painting station, but it also could have been like thread for an embroidery machine. Wasn't that sure if that was oh, a cricket yeah. over there or. Yeah. And so and then, uh, you know, getting really into painting minis for about a year. I haven't recently because with my groups not meeting in person, mm-hmm. it kind of feels like there's. You know, whereas before, oh, I need that troll yes, for that session. Exactly. You had a lot more motivation to get it done and come. You've got one week to paint it and get it table yeah. ready. And and then in the last couple months, I've been getting into uh, drawing again. So it's kind of come full circle. Yeah. Um, and using learning Procreate, using an Apple Pencil and kind of figuring that whole aspect of things out and seeing how. You know, my old habits from my childhood drawing kind of come back to it. But then, oh, yeah. Are you drawing it... during camping trips now again? No, no. <laughs> uh, but adding into it the experience of painting minis, kind of seeing how those two things go together. Mm, yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, like the more you get into it, the more you learn about you know how it all works together it's it's been a lot of fun yeah i uh i had done some miniature painting i think that was really i'm not sure if that was before i touched D or anything else but i had i had started mini painting when i was probably 12 or 14 uh for like a BattleTech board game because they would have unpainted mech warriors and stuff and and I painted quite a bit up until I was probably, you know, 16, 17, fell out for a while, kind of came back a couple times. But here recently, I took it up again just just to explore it and and do less like directly D&D stuff and more very 3D printers have made all of these various different really cool and interesting minis kind of come to the forefront and, and a lot more accessible. So I've gotten to play around with painting some things that don't necessarily have to have a use, but I, I agree that having having a use definitely makes them get finished faster. <laughs> but I do love the the layers of learning that go into picking up a hobby like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's like I said, it's kind of brings my childhood back, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know not a bad thing no not at all i mean i i so i've got a a halfway decent 3d printer nowadays and i think one of my next projects that i'm going to do is uh i want to do a little miniature version of the ship from the flight of the navigator Mm. because it's like one of my favorite childhood movies and i would just love to have a piece of that like i i don't i don't i'm i'm a kid at heart and i guess i'm a, I'm a kid on the outside too but i don't think that's a bad thing at all so no. it's a lot easier paint job too just you know chrome spray paint and we're done so there you go. <laughs> nice so um you had mentioned and i and i i think i've looked up uh so and i'm probably pardon me if i butcher the pronunciation here but uh raconteur's lexicon the Raconteur's Lexicon. Raconteur's yeah. Lexic- Lexicon. So that's over on uh, DM's Guild. Mm-hmm. And that is a five-book bundle. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's uh, five separate volumes. Um, and basically what it is, I, I was finding that when I was playing, uh, this was last summer, so June 2020, mm-hmm. May 2020, I was playing a lot online. And it was a blast, but I was also finding that, especially by the end of a session, when I was getting a little tired, my narration really started to go downhill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I stopped coming up with interesting ways to say things. And it was just like, yeah, you hit, you miss, whatever, yep. but. There's only so many ways to say cut. <laughs> right. And so I uh, totally for myself, I started putting together lists of of words and sorting them into things. Like, you know, a quarter staff is going to you're going to do something different than that than you would uh, um, a crossbow, of course. Right. 
uh, or a great sword. And so I started putting together the list of like, well, so what are different ways to say attack? And under these uh, various categories. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. And then it just kept on going like so. And then what are ways to say missed? Mm-hmm. And why do you miss? Right. So I separated them into you miss because of someone's armor. You miss because of, you know, their their dexterity or you right. miss because you just plain missed. Right. Uh, and and having that library or lexicon of words available to me made it just far more immersive. Yes. And interesting uh, because the, those words allow words are the gateway to your visual uh, mm-hmm. imagination. I, you know, I taught language arts for elementary for 20 years. Nice. And, you know, when I would say to the kids, you know, if you say we went to the park, everyone here is imagining a different park. Right. Uh, everyone here is imagining differently what you mean by went. Yeah. And, and we. So let's try and do that a little more uh, creatively and specifically and then paint, get everyone thinking the same picture in their head. Yep. Judge, uh, or not, well, I guess technically judge, but not really. Podcast judge John Hodgman often says specificity is the soul of narrative. Uh And and I'm inclined to agree. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot to unpack in, in what you just said. And I'm really excited because that is, I think, a genius um, kind of a module or something, uh, something to have at your disposal. Uh, because for one, you can write when you have a fresh brain and can be really creative. You're not, you know, on the spot, you don't have to rush through anything or you're not tired, like you said. And I think that can allow you to spend more time really crafting some unique and engaging ways of describing a situation. And I think that you're right, especially in the heat of the moment, it can be even the most creative people and witty people can have a hard time switching up that language and making sure that you're using some new and fresh words and you're not using the same, you know, three or four words to describe uh, toothy maw bite. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's that's a beautiful thing to have. Yeah, it, it um, going through the process of putting it all together uh, it right away, my vocabulary expanded mm-hmm. um, immensely because also I was like, I never even thought of that word to be used for it. Right. And, and I like the visual that comes along with that word, um, that there's something different about, you know, it's kind of the difference between bunting and hitting in baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, essentially both doing the same thing the bat is hitting the ball but you're doing it in a very different way right and so when you say bunt we all can imagine what the uh what the baseball player looks like their stance etc as opposed to a hit yeah uh and so uh, yeah a lot of it and and then it just kept on growing like after i did the first one about uh melee and ranged combat Yep. Um, then I was like, oh, what about spell stuff? Yeah. And all of a sudden there was a few things. And then I really got into the uh, volume one and two definitely were geared more toward players. Although DMs, it's super good for too. Yep. Uh, but then volume three was much more geared toward a DM about uh, world building. How do you describe the world what's the weather like yes you know so how many other ways to say rainy are there mm-hmm. um and uh are there ways that you know concoct a certain something is there a word that i can use that will cause my players to say oh yeah and oh, then lock that engagement that's in. right it's that oh boy yeah i love um, the i love relying on like or leaning into things that 
we all as people tend to experience in some way or another anyway. But I feel like is often not that that kind of emotional connection isn't utilized in D&D. Like one of my favorites is that kind of musky smell before a storm and the mm. clouds are off in the distance. So you're letting those it's actual foreshadowing. You're letting know the players it will probably rain. But I think everybody links into that that kind of smell or feeling like the air has shifted from warm to a cool breeze that's quickening up and you get that smell. There's a little ionization in the air, you know, so a storm is coming. And I think that things like that will lock a lot of players in a lot more than it was cloudy or it's raining. Yeah. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's interesting how, how words I mean, this is a very narrative hobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like I said, I was just doing it for myself. <laughs> just, <laughs> I mean, that's the best. That's the way every great project starts. Yeah. And then I put it on DMs Guild. And, you know, thanks to one uh, particular Reddit uh, subreddit that I put it in, it just kind of boom, took off. And uh, yeah, so now got five volumes. And actually, the timing of this podcast is perfect. Oh, yeah? Because in, I think, a week or two, the 24th of June mm-hmm. is when uh, that'll be the anniversary of the the first time I put, I think, Volume 1, 2, and 3 on DMs Guild. That's awesome. Congratulations. And, yeah, thanks. And to celebrate that, I'm putting out a uh, what I've called the Expanded Edition. Nice. Uh, which includes actually not not all five, but actually a sixth uh, chapter. And I think I've almost doubled the amount of words in there. Wow. Um, I've added uh, a chapter about monsters for yep. DMs, uh, different ways that monsters move or smell and sound uh names for groups of monsters mm. oh uh, so like you know like flock of birds what do you call a flock right. of dragons like- yeah a tribe <laughs> uh you know um I, strange enough i can't think of any off the top of my head right now uh and then i've also the really fun part was i noticed that when i was playing that whenever uh i was casting a spell mm-hmm that I, you know, and it said it had a verbal component that I really right. wanted to say something, mm-hmm. but I couldn't come up with anything interesting. Peach custard. <laughs> right. So I ended up just kind of saying something pretty um, stupid sounding. Right. And uh, and so what I've done is I've, it's like, I think I've got 130 words and translated into seven uh, either real or made-up languages. And so from that, you can kind of, you know, say, well, if I want to do, let's say, uh, sacred flame, Mm -hmm. then you could look up the word divine and fire. Oh, yeah. And then there's seven different languages for it. So if you're to do it in... Uh, if you choose Dwarvish, which are based on Old Norse language, uh, then it'd be uh, Findal Bruni. That's like, well, sweet. That that's, sounds, that's good. That yeah, sounds way better than what I would have come up with. <laughs> Usha Bagusha. Yeah, right, right, right. It's hard to make. Like, it's surprisingly difficult to make gibberish up on the spot. Yeah. So this, I think, this would take a little bit of planning ahead, but. You know, as a spellcaster, you could go through and and you know find the words that you'd use to combine, and uh, and you're not the thing that I always stress is like these are building blocks, so you put mm-hmm. them together however you want. Right. If you want to mix things from the you know what I would say is the Elvish column with things from the Gnomish column. Go yeah. for it. Nobody's that's I think that's something that I I appreciate so much else about the hobby is that the amount of like building on the shoulders of giants that there is where like I can take 
the information that you've provided and take your lexicon and then take a Wizards of the Coast adventure, but then add one shots or one page dungeons from Reddit into that to like build the campaign and change it up or I could swap out entire chunks and nobody can tell me no. Mm -hmm. Like and, and and just being able to build and then somebody can take everything that I just did and then change it completely and make it their own. And it just keeps on kind of evolving and changing. I absolutely love that. Well, and one of the I mean, there are many satisfying uh, things that happen when you're DM. One of the ones that I love is when my players say, hang on, you made up that whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're one group I'm playing uh, Curse of Strahd with, but we've like heavily added in chunks to tie things into characters, backgrounds, right, uh, et cetera. And, and they often are like, okay, I don't know if he made that one up or is, that <laughs> is this the, the book? book or is it, yeah, it's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, which is that's awesome. When yeah, they, that's probably when one of the best know. feelings as it is like when not only are they excited and interested in it, but they're kind of impressed by it. Like, yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, in addition to uh, the lexicons, uh, I see here that you had once uh, wanted to publish a D&D periodical. Is that correct? Or is that the lexicon? Yeah, no, I had this idea, I don't know, eight months ago. And saying like, oh, it'd be kind of fun to you put, you know, on DM's Guild or whatever, maybe to go beyond that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and just put together like a monthly thing. Yep. Um, but the i think two or three days after i thought of that idea all of a sudden i saw an explosion of lots of other people doing exactly that yes yeah, so i don't know what exactly triggered it but magazines or zines have had like a, a re-rise very yeah. recently yeah so uh, you know i i don't claim to do anything wholly original but I like the idea of uh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do it the best that I can. Mm -hmm. But if there's someone already doing it and and it's a lot like what I've already done, then I'm not going to step on anyone's toes. Right, right. right. I'm not going to claim to do better. And right away, I could see that they had access to resources uh, you know, art, etc. It's like, right. oh, that's way better than what I would have done. <laughs> so good on you, because I don't know. I've I've been really surprised at the amount of available content and how available people are to work on collaborative projects. Where uh, I've gone out to commission work, thinking I'm probably going to be able to afford maybe one of these a month. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, and maybe I'll be able to add some things together, but then come to find out that people are really willing or interested in the project that I'm working on and want to help me out and want to, you know, or want to participate or add some of their own stuff. So they'll give discounts or trade offers and things like, like, there's a lot of things I can doodle and I can draw like sketchy, like in a conceptual way, but I know my limits. Like I, if I spend enough time on it, I can make it kind of halfway. Okay. I could, sh I could share it at least, <laughs> but I know that there are tons of people way better at me at, at these types of things. And I have no problem asking them for help because I think that it, it's one of those things where you can bring a lot of interesting collaboration together with other individuals just by checking and seeing. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the flood of talent, that you know when you scroll through twitter yeah um it, it blows me away especially uh now getting into doing some uh dnd art and illustration think holy cow i've watched videos of people uh painting character portraits which mm -hmm. i'm not at that point yet i've i've just recently graduated to like doing you know magic items and hey there's like there's a, a lot of there's a lot of people that do like character portraits and 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 
commission work for for character pieces. But I think that I actually really love seeing unique magic items and interesting uh, little kind of smaller pieces of art because I, I feel like there's a certain number of constraints on a character mm. that I respect. But I think that items have just such a different style, like the constraints are totally different. And therefore, uh, the type of art that comes out of doing magic items is uh, you've got to find different ways to add in like the emotion or the kind of unspoken animation, like the the movements that you would assume would be there instead of or characters, you need to have a good pose and a, a heroic pose that matches their personality. You don't have that with an item, but you have a different set of things that you can mess with there. So I think it's really I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's been the so yeah, this project started last year where I started thinking about uh spell casting foci, arcane mm-hmm. focus, etc. Because anytime I'd ask a player, hey, what's your spell casting focus? Or what does your holy symbol look like? They right. I don't know, it's a wand. Yeah. Or it's a cross on my shield or something like that. And so I started thinking, oh, I, I want to actually develop that a little bit. Uh, and so I started compiling a list of what are all the different things. And I mean, there's an infinite amount of them. But what are all the, you know, what are some cool things that a spellcaster could have right. as their focus? Uh, and then I started to think about... A little bit of homebrew, I guess, making an arcane focus or spellcasting focus story have a little more uh, tied into the character mm-hmm. um, and a little more like you can do something with it. Right. And and so that's what I've started with the illustrations of, um, you know, so the first one I had was Branch of the Beekeeper. which is a a druidic focused, which is basically a a staff, but at the end of it, the branches kind of form a claw and they hold a a honeycomb, which bees, you know, are, it's an active honeycomb. Bees are there. And and I thought, well, so that's kind of neat. Like I like the visual of it, of a druid having this staff with honey that, you know, every now and then is dripping down from this honeycomb. But then I started thinking, yeah, but if they had bees, they could do some cool things with those mm-hmm. bees. Like send the bees out as a distraction. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they could like lob some of the honey and make, you know, an area sticky, make right. it difficult to rain for uh, that little bit. So trying to come up with things that aren't game-breakingly overpowered mm-hmm. because there, this is your arcane focus. And so now that I've done, I think I've illustrated like 12 of them. I've got five of them that I've put out on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, eventually I hope to, you know, compile them and put them into something. Yeah. But then I want to introduce some sort of mechanic that goes with that, that you can use it. Like you have a number of charges every day equal to your proficiency. And to do this uh, power costs you one point. To yep. do this one costs you two or three. So it kind of gives you a little bit of constraint in that you're not overpowered. Right. But you can, I, I do love items that can grow with you more. Like, and, and right. I also, that's one thing that, that way you can have something to kind of look forward to on top of just your, your character bonuses from leveling up. But I think the items that grow with you or evolve with different conditions, maybe you have to kill so many, you know, creatures or you have to gain so much experience while wielding it, or you have to get so many final blows or something. Yeah. But having things that evolve with you, I think is a really fun mechanic that, is largely it's not really even very much recommended in anywhere in the core books mm. but i think a lot of dms that get into homebrew eventually find their way to to th- things that grow with you whether they be equipment or armor or weapons 
Yeah, and and that's definitely the the idea behind it that I want it to be something that when you're level 10 you can use it in a different way than when you're at level 1. Right. Um you know or uh, there's one of them that I came up with that I haven't released yet. I've got it done. Uh what is it called? Clutch of Coatl feathers. Ooh. And so it's a it's a bundle of feathers uh given to you or you took from uh Coatl which is the uh, I believe like the celestial dragon bird type. Right. Thing. Kind of rainbow colored feathers. And yeah. And so they're, you know, all different bright colors, but there's only nine of them in the bundle. And one of the uses of them is that if you uh, are falling, you can take one of the feathers out of the bundle and it gives you feather fall. Nice. But then that feather uh, evaporates. Ah. Now you have eight. Yep. And so every time you use it that way, because that's your emergency, like, oh, crap, Mm -hmm. I'm falling. Well, I guess I'm going to do this. Uh, But when you reach, when you views online, then your arcane focus is gone. and you, You need to find a new one. So I I like that a lot, and I so I've mixed. It. I like consumable things that encourage players to use them, and I also like kind of dropping some of that at a lower level. Or there's I think there's a, a lot of DMs get worried that they're gonna like overpower their players too early with magic items. I think consumable items is a great way of of doing that, and I also think like towing the line between a joke item and a serious item can help because uh you know you give kind of a serious player a halfway decent magical item but it's a they have to do something silly either it's a jester's cap and it mm-hmm. no matter what no matter what they're wearing whenever they put the jester's cap on it'll change to a color that clashes with it right but it can do something cool so the player w- will want to use it for the cool thing but probably want to get rid of it to to replace it with something more iconic for their character sure yeah uh, or like a um a spell scroll that maybe has a decent spell in it but requires the player to say like fiddly fiddly foof monster be gone poof and it casts you know like you know dimension door or something like that and yeah, yeah. and but it so, so it requires them to be a little silly so maybe they don't even want to use it maybe they'll want to sell it but kind of giving that and them that option that this is a little higher power than maybe you should be getting but it, you're either going to use it up real quick or there it may not it's not going to be as rule of cool you can you can have the cool thing that does nothing. It's a it's a plate helm and it looks awesome, but it's just a plate helm. <laughs> yeah. Or you could have the jester's cap <laughs> that gets you access to a couple of spells for a little bit, but you got to look yeah. silly doing it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun to, you know, the list that I have for that is I don't know. I've got like sixty different items, and uh, I just every few days look through it, and and something else will jump out at me like. Oh, that's a bit of a weird thing. Sure, let's see what that can do. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, but that really is my kind of my little drawing project that I've been working on over time. And who knows, at one point, put it together into a, a thing that I can actually put out there. Right. Now, you you had yeah. said something else earlier, too, with the, the staff of honey that I try to I always I, I have at least one full episode on this, if not a couple. Uh, the flavor of magic is one of them for those that, that want to go check that one out that discusses changing the look and feel of a spell without changing the rules. And uh, I think yeah. that that is just as important for spellcasters as it is for DMs making items like you can say that you know, instead of casting, it casts entanglement, but the entanglement is a slick strands of honey carried by bees or something like that. Sure, you know? yeah. My, a, the effect is the same. In my uh, Strahd campaign, the ranger was corrupted uh, by making a deal with Strahd, mm. and he was then uh, possessed by an... Um, I guess an evil spirit 
uh, that what was at one point uh, a general in Strahd's army. I kind of took things from the book and then pieced them together so that we could do this. Right. Uh, ever since then, whenever he casts good berries, and in this player is such a good role player, he always, you know, I I wave my palm over my other hand and ten berries appear. And then one day I said, actually, they're not berries. They're maggots that are writhing in your hand. And they're all like, oh, gross. (laughs) Do I want to eat one? Right. So they end up giving them their one point of health, Mm -hmm. like a good berry does. But every time, even now, you know, six months later, they're still a little bit like, uh, it's kind of, and, <laughs> and I'm starting to describe now, like more and more that they're like writhing around in his mm-hmm. hand. And like, as the corruption sets in more yeah, and more, yeah. you can kind of gauge the corruption by what the good berry does. And yes, maybe yeah. they get a sickly green color later or something. And yeah. that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, so it, it seems kind of like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you had mentioned that you'd started playing D&D more seriously a couple few years ago. Um, was that your intro into D&D, or did you go a little bit further back in your history with your first campaign? Yeah, so I played D&D, I think, probably when I was like eight or nine. Okay. Uh, my brother and then another set of brothers. So there are four of us, and we played i was the youngest out of all of them uh and so we played the red box oh yep um and loved it i totally didn't understand it at all Um, that was red box's second edition uh yeah but i don't know if it's called it it kind of like Hackmaster and stuff. There was a few offshoots, but it, it still used Thatco, which was really yes. hard for somebody eight or 10. To, yeah. That was about where my first ones were too. So yeah, that was not so, easy to wrap around. So we, we played that uh, quite a bit uh, until my brother killed my character. No. And then, <laughs> and then I probably whined and screamed. And then our parents said, Kate, you're you're done. Yep. You're not playing that anymore. And then we switched over to uh Marvel Superheroes RPG. Okay. Yeah. Play because we were comic kids. Right. And uh superheroes was my jam mm-hmm. growing up. So uh we played that for a few years. Uh and then uh, like I said, I got into playing guitar and right. said was totally immersed in music, wanting to be in a band. I was in a band before I could play, and it, <laughs> before I knew what I was doing. We have a recording of me, uh, of a band that I was in. I was in grade eight, I think. And uh, we had one friend. I had one friend who played guitar really well. My brother was playing drums with pencil sticks, unsharpened pencils, <laughs> and playing on like a junior drum kit. Right. None of us really knew what we were doing. <laughs> One other guitar player had taken some basic lessons, and I, throughout the whole song, for two and a half, three minutes, I'm just playing one string <laughs> somewhat rhythmically at times, then other, other times totally off. So but a proper ska band is <laughs> not even close. Yeah, it was. Um, I cannot. When I listen back to those recordings, I cannot believe that my parents put up with that. <laughs> well, they're very gracious, and that's yeah, very encouraging, were. though, because you you gotta learn. Like, totally, you're it, not gonna pick up a guitar and be able to Jimi Hendrix it up. Like, yeah, yeah, and so music really took over for. High school, uh, university, uh, etc., and then about yeah, just right around fifteen years ago now, I was diagnosed with a neurological uh, disease called Friedrich's ataxia. Okay, uh, it's a degenerative uh, genetic de- degenerative neuromuscular disease. Okay, and. So over time, it's getting worse. Hmm. I started with me having to use a cane 
then a walker. And uh, now I've been in a wheelchair uh, for the last seven, eight years, I think. Uh, it compromises your sense of balance and uh, coordination. And a whole other bunch of bad stuff can happen as side effects. And so when I was hit with that, that was obviously uh, pretty devastating. And around that same time, I really felt like I needed a uh, a support group yeah. that wasn't, you know, counseling, etc. Nothing right. against counseling, but that's no. But I you wanted. need counseling and therapy. Is there's some people that I'm like that that are friends that I'm like you need a counselor therapist because your friends can't do everything. But then there's other people that it's like you're right. Therapy isn't everything, and having a support network of people that can be there a little bit more frequently. Um, is also just as important. Yeah, so I I started thinking about my parents, actually, in that, you know, whenever they went away, you didn't have to wonder who they were going with. Mm-hmm. You knew that they were going with those friends and those friends and those friends. That New Year's Eve, you knew that they were getting together with those friends. Uh, you know, barbecue in the summer, you knew those friends were coming over. And I kind of felt like, Beyond people that I knew from work, I didn't have that as much as I wanted. Right. Uh, And so got a few friends together and my brother, even though we killed my character (laughs) in D&D when I was nine. And we started playing poker and board games. Um, And then about... uh, Nine years ago, ten years ago, one of those friends said, "Hey, we should try DD," and we we're all like, "Yeah, let's do it." And he was definitely like a second edition DM, right. but totally making it up on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we played a few sessions. It was fun, but then we we were done. We right, it didn't hold our interest. Uh, then just a couple of years later, one of those other friends said, "Hey, there's a new version of D and D. We should we should try it again. I've been playing it with some friends. We should try it." Nice. And then it clicked. Yeah. And everything just kind of fell into place. Uh, so that group has been playing. Uh, we've been on a break lately because a couple people can't handle the online aspect of it right it can be really hard especially when you're used to playing in person it's i mean so easy just to pick up your phone Mm -hmm. or have another tab open uh so that the distraction is way too easy yeah uh but i've been just trying to bring people into the fold so to speak uh i think i'm playing in Five different groups now. Wow. Uh, I DM for four of them. And and that's a bit of a, you know, as a kid, I was never the DM. Right. Now I get to be the DM. Now you get to kill your brother's character. (laughs) I did exactly that. (laughs) And all of our friends cheered because they knew that was coming. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I've, I've got a few groups and... A couple of them are made up of totally brand new players who've yeah. never played. And, you know, what a blast it is to the next morning uh, after a session to have like texts mm-hmm. flying in, like, oh man, that was such a blast. And them trying to figure out uh, story elements and what do you, what should we do about this? You know, that just warms your heart. I think that is that that's probably one of the most like savory moments of a session is when everybody has packed everything up. The real high like adrenaline of whatever was just going on is kind of toned down some, but then everybody's kind of processing things and you get that kind of long Midwestern goodbye where like the sun's gone out. People are late getting home. They're texting partners and roommates like, hey, I'm coming home soon. But they're still sticking around yeah. wanting to chat about what just happened. Yeah, what, yeah. 
was it what's going to come next and how are we going to when are we going to level up and what they want to do with their characters or what happened in the story like that's such a kind of bittersweet time to indulge in that everybody is leaving but they're they, everybody had so much fun that they have a hard time tearing each other apart like like going their separate ways for the evening and that's a that's a great experience yeah and it's uh one of the one of the players that i play with they sent a uh a christmas card around uh he and his partner sent a christmas card and they just said uh thank you for all the fun over the last year you cannot uh, believe how uh important it has been you know, as a, a stress relief etc you know uh yeah, it, it just there's so many things like that that make all the work, all the prep that mm-hmm. goes into it, uh, that makes it fairly worth it. So, speaking of prep, you mentioned that you're running a kind of a modified Curse of Strahd, but you also mentioned running like at least three other games. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself doing more of these like modified adventure modules? Or how far into the homebrew do you like to dive? You know, when I started uh, DMing two or three years ago, it was, I had a very forgiving audience. It was my kids. And so I could get away with anything. The stories didn't have to make sense. They could be... Plot doesn't have to go through, go anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, they could be very basic. It could be... You know, the most typical story, but it was all of us just kind of learning the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, I've actually, I tend to stay away from pure homebrew simply because, yeah, running uh, four campaigns, uh, yeah. I feel like I my brain just wouldn't be able to come up with something original and like i said before i kind of feel like uh i'd rather use someone else's ideas as a springboard right for what i'm gonna do you know if i have a character so in my strad game uh we have a, a warlock who you know at first just picked their uh pact and it was all good, et cetera. Packed to the fiend, I think it was. And and then I started thinking about like, oh, how could I throw that, make mm-hmm. that part of the story? And and so I I tend to manipulate the given material, yes, far more than all out homebrew. Every now and then I'll throw in uh, something that I've just. Just a couple weeks ago, we had a session where they were on their way to the Amber Temple, which is a kind of the end game area. Right. And and I was like, yeah, but like, what's going to happen on the way there? What can mm-hmm. I do? And and then there's also inside the Amber Temple, there's these enemies or NPCs, the, whatever, however you approach it that seems sort of out of place and a little bit purposeless. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give them a reason for being there. So it's a little bit of backward engineering yeah. Uh, to, you know, how can I make them have a reason for being there and combine that with what can I do on the way there? They're going to meet someone who's connected to those NPCs. There you go. Who's going to try and screw them over somehow. Um, so yeah, I created this encounter. And once again, they have no idea that I made it up. Uh, if they did a little bit of figuring out, then they could, but right. Uh, they, they're really good at not metagaming. That's good. Yeah. That's always nice to have. It's a little refreshing to get that. Yeah. For sure. I I love it because I, I think that that's an approach that I, I don't know. It's probably pretty popular. I like to homebrew the world, but I don't like to homebrew the campaign. 
And I've often find myself taking, there's such a wealth of, even if like, please pay for content if you can, but if you can't, there's so much free content or really cheap content out there that if you change the, you know, the werewolves into griffins and, and, you know, modify things one way or another, you can take a level one campaign and make it epic level you could take an epic level campaign and you just got to swap out the monsters. You could keep the plot. And yeah. instead of the cities that are in the book, you use the cities that are in your world and maybe change, you know, a few things around. But it's it's far easier to change some content that's already there or adapt it. Like I want it to go in this direction, but I don't want to do everything beat for beat that's in here. But I'll pick and choose what I like out of it. And and kind of combine those things together for for what I want to do. So I think that's a great way of running a game. So um, it wouldn't be Dungeons and Dinners if we didn't stop and talk just a little bit about food. So I would love to know what your uh, relationship is to food. Do you have a, a favorite dish to either cook or serve? Well, I am uh, self-described as culinarily illiterate. Um, I'm out of, so between my wife and my two sons and I, I'm probably the worst at making food. Uh, The boys growing up used to refer to uh, toast and eggs as daddy's kitchen. (laughs) because <laughs> that's like I could microwave an egg and I could put it in toast um, I'm also very fortunate to have uh, a partner who is exceedingly good at making food there you, go. you and, gotta balance things out <laughs> yeah and so trying to pass those skills on to our, our kids as well but you've got the toast and eggs covered for that. Oh, you'll, yeah. you'll teach and them. You'll cereal? get them started. <laughs> I know how to measure out, uh, you know, a quarter cup of cereal. Just right. there we go. There we yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, then on the enjoyment side, is there a particular dish that uh, you really enjoy that your wife makes or maybe uh, wish that they'd make more often? Uh, well, anytime. Uh, when when did we start these? I think she started making them like twenty years ago. We called them pizza hot dogs. Yeah, and man, like you know, there are things that she makes that are better than them that right. I enjoy more. But they've become kind of the epitome of here's something I love. So what's so, what goes into a pizza hot dog? Uh, yeah, so it's a hot dog on a bun and yeah. then you put pepperoni sauce uh sliced pepperoni some uh, melted mozzarella cheese and um shoot i can't remember what the herb is uh like some sort of, basil or oregano or something on top yeah, oregano thank there you there we go yeah and uh and there you go. That it's, actually sounds great because I don't necessarily do chili dogs a whole lot, mm. but I think I could probably get down on a pizza dog. They're so good. I, I'm going to have to make one of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if uh, where you are, do you have a, uh, a food chain called uh, a fast food chain called Orange Julius out there? Uh, I'm. Not sure if there's one in town anymore. I think there was at one point. Okay. If it's not still here, there's one close for sure. Okay. So, yeah, as a kid, when my mom would take us to the mall, we'd get to go to Orange Julius. Then mm-hmm. we would have their, I don't know what they called it, but it basically was a pizza hot dog. Uh, and so, years ago, uh, when my wife and I were at the mall. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have one of these. And she's like, oh, I can make that. <laughs> Please do. Yes. I, yeah. That is something that I find myself doing quite a bit is we'll go, we'll go to a restaurant and we get like, that was the first time I had a Buffalo chicken dip. Uh, nice. We went to a, a local restaurant in town and I was like, it's okay, but I don't really like Frank's red hot from a story that I've yet to tell on this show. I need to, I'll take a note to tell the, the Frank's red hot story. Someday. Do a whole episode on pretty it. much. It's a long one. Um, but I, uh, but I was like, but conceptually there's not a lot 
to this dip. And it's I like it, but I think I could make it and make it better. And so we get home and I'm like, all right, here's the grocery list. Here's all the things that I need. And and I want to make this dip, but I want to do a better job at it. And now it's one of our kind of staple snack foods. And so I don't have to go out to get it anymore. Yeah. We make it a lot cheaper at home. <laughs> well done. Yeah, that's a that's a really grand thing to do. I, I love uh, finding new flavors elsewhere and then trying to pick them apart at home. Yeah. Kind of in the same way that, that, you know, you go shopping on Reddit for some ideas for a story and then <laughs> totally yeah good good connection there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. so well and i mean for me that really was how i would uh, as a as an elementary teacher that's how i'd often approach planning was right. people would say hey here's you know a lesson that i made on blank and I'd look at it and say yeah yeah that's a good idea i, do, I wouldn't do it this way i want to do it this way and then I take that idea and kind of turn it into my own thing. And that skill has definitely found its way in the uh, D&D world for me. Uh, the, do, you, do you also find that adults are more stumped by children's puzzles than children are? <laughs> I, I gave my group, my Strahd group, a really good puzzle this past week. Yeah. And it was pretty fun having them try and figure it out uh, in character. Right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Stay in character the whole time, guys. Yeah, because then at one point, they figured out the way into this room. One of them went in, and the moment we, he went in, the door closed again. Mm-hmm. The people on this side of the door tried to say the password again, but it wouldn't open. Right. So he was stuck in the other side, having to try and figure out the password to reopen <laughs> the door on his own. Right. Yep. And no help. You can't hear through stone. <laughs> no. Yeah. It was. It was great. That's awesome. Well, Joel, is there uh, is there anything about uh, your history in D anD D or anything, any topics that you'd like to discuss before we start wrapping things up? Uh, so I I have been dabbling into the world of Twitch and mm-hmm. streaming games, uh, which has been a, a really fun kind of extra layer to throw on top of, uh, you know, playing online. Yeah, feels like, you know, when we play online, a lot of the work is already done. Right. Uh, so sure, let's see if other people watch it. Uh, and then the the progression for me has been that uh, this week on the June 17th, so by the time this comes out, mm-hmm. uh, we'll have passed it, but there'll be more. Uh, I'm starting a, uh, a Dungeon Master Roundtable chat Ooh. show called It's About DM Time. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and uh, and so every episode, I won't say every week, but from the enthusiasm of the panelists that are in the pool so far, it probably could happen every week. That would be um, cool. And we kind of, you know, we'll have a topic every week that then hopefully we have a range of opinions and experience it's not just for veteran DMs, like new DMs. My goal, especially, I think, coming from my teacher background, is that there will be, you know, a 12-year-old kid who's wanting to learn how to DM mm-hmm. who might come across that as a, a Twitch stream, a YouTube, or uh, I'm going to put it on as a podcast, too, I believe. Yes. And maybe they'll listen and kind of be like oh i didn't think i could do that and so every week you know every episode will be different panelists that um we i have a a list of questions but the goal is really just to have a conversation uh about some of these topics some of them will be very mechanical Mm -hmm. uh technical and others like the first episode we're doing is so why are you the dm what makes you the dm that's a really good question i think that's something that a lot of people should ask themselves too like yeah and i think the the reverse of that why aren't you a dm exactly uh because i know in the groups that i play in 
there's, you know, even though a year ago, a year and a half ago, these people were mostly new players. Now, I think you, you could definitely be a GM. You know mm-hmm. enough about this. You know more about this than I did when I started. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and about the mechanics of it, et cetera. Because really, it just turns into a reading comprehension exercise. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, you know to look. When I started DMing, I would always forget to look down at the bottom of the room description for where it says uh, treasure or development. Yes. And then nothing would happen in the room. I'd be like, okay. And then afterwards, I'd look, development. Oh, shoot. I totally missed that. (laughs) So, really, if you know the mechanics of the game, you could totally be a DM. Right. No, that's uh, that's really cool. I like this idea. And yeah, please, please make sure and hit me up on Twitter. Once it comes out, I will catch the I, I may not be able to catch live, but I will go after VODs for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's been, you know, that once again, that's another kind of thing that I never really got into was. Uh, and now I am, uh, you know, editing video. And, oh, yeah. Uh, writing like theme songs mm-hmm. uh, for things like this. And, you know, for this one coming up, um, can I want like an eight to 10 second theme song. And then right. along with that, I need some sort of visual intro. I guess I got to yeah. learn how to do that too. Well, and you've but- got to take your, your theme song and then take a transition clip out of it that you can use if you're going to have a, a hard change between topics or if you want to run an ad or something, then you got to have the short version. And yeah. 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 So uh, all that stuff, like, like I guess we said at the very beginning, what I find is it's just kind of this breeding ground for creativity that, you know, because of this, now I have to learn how to blank and do this and et cetera. Yep. And, or I might find someone who can do that better, which who's willing to, be part of it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those connections, uh, etc. That's really what this is about for me. Is how to, you know, same idea as my support group. Um, yep. uh, yeah, dealing with a chronic illness is no fun. No, uh, and so having making connections with people, and they don't even know what my situation is. And I mean, not that I don't want them to know, right. But they don't need to know. Um, But it's all part of kind of figuring out for yourself of how you're part of something. It's, Uh, I think the idea of community adds so much value to almost any endeavor. Uh, that that I can think of or that I've been involved in. There's a there's a lot of you know I wear a lot of hats and we often talk about this uh, on our other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is about video games. We talk so much about how a mediocre game can become the best experience of the weekend if you have a good community around it, if you have some friends, and the the best you know AAA game or the best session of D and D can feel kind of middling if, you know, there are not people that you really connect with. Yeah. And so I think like just having a community of people, whether they be like-minded or completely different in their capabilities so that they are bringing a, a really fresh perspective, that sense of belonging to something and being able to contribute your, your knowledge or your painting skills or your miniatures or whatever it is, that you can bring to the table, I think is just the heart and soul of the, the connection that I think is such an important part of our lives. Yeah. Well put. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, so on that note, I will have your link tree. You, you are all over the internet. So we're going to have your link tree in the comments, uh, down in the, or I'm sorry, the the description of the show, you can go down there into the show notes and check out his many links and follow uh, Joel on Twitter and everywhere else. Is there anything else that you would like to bring up and talk about before we end the show? No, I'm good. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. And for those of you interested, head on over to patreon.com slash dungeons and dinners, where we're going to have a few more minutes of conversation with Joel. So head over there and check it out. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, everybody. So that's all for the episode today. Please let me know your thoughts, comments, or episode ideas. All of my links and contact information can be found in the card website that's down in the show notes, and I'm most active on Twitter at anddinners. If you're interested in supporting the show and want to get access to the new bonus episodes, Discord content, or just want to show your support, consider tossing some coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for another great podcast to listen to, check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a long-form podcast about why video gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend, Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with all of you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.